Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. Uh, very exciting. This week, our guest is Purpurina. You have seen their horror cross stitch on social media, but they're also the producer of Observable Blur, blur, blur. Observable Radio, a found footage anthology podcast of retro sci-fi and analog horror, aka all my favorite things. Welcome to the show! Hi, 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 hi! Thank you guys for having me. I am absurdly excited for this conversation. <laughs> I am also Boy. absurdly excited for this conversation. <laughs> I I cannot wait to dig into the movie you brought with you today, but let's let's start at the beginning. Uh, for those that might not have known about Observable Radio, can you kind of give us the the idea of what what this podcast is? Yeah, uh, Mary Beth hit the logline. Um, our first se- season centers around our wraparound character, the Observer, uh, who's been receiving some strange signals that seem to come from universes different than our own. Every episode gives us a glimpse of one of these worlds, and the Observer tries to make sense of what he's hearing as much as he can. So cool. I've, I've listened to the to the first two episodes, and the first one, I gotta admit, I was like, I don't know what is going on here, because it was like a lot of little little bits. But when I got to the second episode, I was like, ooh, this is really interesting. The one, it's about cattle drive, and I'm not going to spoil what happens in it. But I, I love this con- conceit about this kind of wraparound well, anthology, but then also like telling a kind of a little bit of short stories in between. It's it's really it's really kind of cool. How did how did you get involved with this? Cameron and I, Cameron, who created the Observable Radio, is his very much baby. It came from him. He brought on his high school friend Phil Van Hest, who is the Observer. Shortly after, and then Cameron and I have been talking about it ever since um, when he thought of it. We became friends because our opinions on horror are basically one to one. We bonded very much on liking and disliking the same things. So from the jump, when he first came up with it, we've kind of been talking about it and I was sort of brought in. And I we do need to give a shout out to one of your former guests. A big part of the inspiration came from Skinnamarink. Cameron Hell saw yeah. Skinnamarink. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And he was like, look, I want to make this thing where we give snippets, tastes of information, and we make the audience kind of put it together themselves, figure it out. It's been a lot of fun trying to do that in an audio medium where 
we need to give more information than Skinamarink does <laughs> in, in an audio space, a little bit more, but still kind of where do we need to pull back? Where do we actually need to give a little bit more information? Um, it's been really fun kind of playing with that push and pull. So a lot of us know you from cross-stitching online, which is so fucking cool. So how... Have you always had an interest in kind of producing audio, writing short stories, writing horror fiction? Like, how did you kind of bridge the gap, as it were? Yeah, that's a good... Like, I've always liked writing at the risk of tuning my own horn. It came somewhat easy to me in terms of, like school writing assignments, I would very easily kind of spit something out and turn it in. I think I'm going to go out on a limb and say that all three of us were probably like that (laughs) growing up. Yeah, Yeah. like, just figure that, like, here you go, here's something, you know, kind of (laughs) off the wall, whatever. And so that was always encouraged as well by teachers and parents and stuff. Audio, completely new to me. Like, that was 100% a... cool. Uh, Cameron did another podcast when the Willow TV show was on, um, about the Willow TV show. (laughs) Rip, rip, seriously, for real. Uh, rip. I mean, I wanted to see where they were going in season two, but that's another podcast. Uh, (laughs) Um, so he got some experience kind of cutting and editing things together and found that he really liked it. So he was already drawn to that podcast space i will admit i don't i'm still a baby (laughs) whenever he tells me like we need to do this i go you need to explain like i'm five (laughs) i don't know what those (laughs) words are (laughs) but yeah like i've been helping a lot more with kind of story writing uh outreach kind of stuff uh and it's been really fun to kind of learn as we go along (laughs) as well with with every facet (laughs) Well, I mean, like, that's the best way to learn this stuff. Like, there, I mean, and now there might, there probably is, but like, there was no audio, like, big audio podcast engineering. Like, yeah, there was probably, there's audio engineering, but that's like high level, not just like yep. p- producing podcast engineering. And so, like, the best way to learn is just doing it with someone who knows how to do it. Terry literally Googled <laughs> things and then on a phone oh call, he gave me like the numbers to yes. input into Audacity oh. and like the best levels and stuff for. I've used those same numbers for years. I will never touch same. them. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, like, I had to like, I was Terry YouTubing, I was Googling, I was doing anything I possibly could and then being like, okay, this sounds okay. Let's use this. This is what we're yeah. going to do. And then don't change anything. <laughs> That's, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a different language. For sure. Even just so on the recording side of things, I've done a couple of voices. There's one episode where there's creatures, I'll say, moaning in the background. And for me, it was a lot to even figure out how to record those kind of noises without blowing out <laughs> the microphone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so oh, yeah. It's, it's been a very fun educational journey. So is this a podcast people need to listen to chronologically or can they listen out of order? What's the best way for people to listen? I think the first few episodes they could do out of order, but long term, uh, given Observer's story, you're definitely going to want to get that chronologically. Cool. cool. And it's funny that you mentioned Cattle Drive, Terry, because that's always the one, the reveal in that one, people are always like, holy shit, you guys. <laughs> like, that's I, always you know, the one. <laughs> I was listening to it and it's like, okay, there has to be something here. Are we going to go back to this 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 whole story? And I was like, 
I think I know kind of where it's going, but the how and what ends up happening still like, oh, shit. <laughs> like that is where I got hooked. And uh, so I've downloaded them all and I'm going to be continuing to listen to them. Are, is this going to be done in like seasons or how how is like the release going to be planned out? Do you know? So the first season is Observer's Story. We're playing with the idea of doing different things. We're kind of going like we have a lot of different ideas for other things, but let's finish the first season <laughs> before we yeah. make sure we, before we commit to anything. We release once a month because also all of us are balancing day jobs in addition to yep. this. Well, and it's very produced. There's a lot of like it, it's not just a podcast of people talking there's a lot of sound effects there's a lot of cutting into different things like it is definitely it feels like an audio drama in that way i was gonna say it's not just like us editing some audio levels and getting ums and ahs out like it's a full-on yeah. like you're making a movie for your ears that's the Which, dumbest thing i've ever said anyway. no, but, but it's real though like there was one scene that we were trying Cameron and I were just going back and forth, back and forth. We're like, something is off, something is off. And we're like, oh, we need this audio cue because we can picture it, but just listening to it, you can't. Like, it really is like oh, that's so translating cool, it. Like, what a <laughs> but like, what a cool skill and like, what a cool thing to learn. Like, that it's, kind of storytelling, storytelling, storytelling format. It's just like, that's neato. That's just It's neat. so different because especially... I'm a very visual person in how I learn. And yeah. even if you look Same. at my short stories, I describe certain things trying to get the reader to picture it. Like, And so we can do that to a degree in this kind of audio. Like if it was the kind where we're reading a short story, okay, we can include those details. But like, we're like, okay, I know this person goes from here to here and does this and that. How do I let someone hear that? <laughs> Right. And and really a lot of the value I've gotten is um just the <laughs> sorry, my cat just went in the background and everybody reacted. <laughs> we love kitties here. He's 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 behaving today. Uh he's being a little less mischievous. But just having this back and forth collaboration, I think also with Cameron and Phil has been really fun. Just that like, oh look, you know, like well, we need this or, oh, the music, we thought it would work there, but let's take it out, actually. Okay, yeah, that's much better. Just having that space to work together um, is very different. Like any other thing I've done, writing, stitching, whatever else, is is a solo <laughs> a project. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, you do a lot of solo stuff. So it's got it's so cool to be able to collaborate and like stretch those muscles, those creative For sure. muscles. For sure. So what is your relationship to analog horror and found footage? Like, are you a big fan of the subgenres? Are you newer to them? I kind of know the answer to this, but I'm going to pretend like I don't for the podcast. <laughs> so kind of going back to Cameron and I first bonding, it was literally like, you like found footage too? <laughs> like, that was like a big part yeah. of like mm -hmm. that. Good oh, way. great. Good. <laughs> We're we're not the only ones because uh, this was back 2016 ish when like fewer uh. people were out loud like it was still oh you know those bad found footage movies was still oh, yeah. the overarching discussion yeah oh uh, so let's let's go back to the to the start how did you get introduced to the horror genre so 
I think it's just been ever present in my life. <laughs> okay. I'm going to, you know, for playing the Scarred for Life drinking game, uh, race Catholic. <laughs> yeah. uh, <Dang>. Mexican American <laughs> family. There's uh, especially Catholicism in Mexican American culture. I feel like there's a lot of interaction it's no with it's horror. It's no fucking joke, my yeah. dude. <laughs> it is no joke. I was talking about with my dad. I was telling him I'm going to be on this show. And, like, you take us little kids to a big room, you know, once a week where a man talks at us about sin and we got to stare at this dying man at the front of the, like, a statue of the dying man. <laughs> like, it's it's gnarly. And then you drink his blood and eat his mm-hmm. body and you just, like, go about your day. Like, it's just, like, a normal part of my week to yeah. eat a man. And then we all go I mean, to Whataburger. It's fine. Yeah, like, exactly. All right, cool. Like, let's go get fast food afterward and like go home uh, and like Christ watch is cartoons. not very filling today. Let's go to Whataburger. <laughs> For real. I got to get me some of those fries and the giant ass cup. Like. We have to put, we have to give a lot of flesh out so you can only give so much. <laughs> that always freaked me out. What the fuck? I was like, what do you mean the body of Christ? Like it's one dude. I don't understand. Like I could not. It never freaked me out because I was like, logistically, that's impossible. So I was just like, so, so I was like, there's no fucking way that that is a yeah. man's body. Christ is the blob. <laughs> well, I, and I didn't even know until I was an adult that Catholics were supposed to believe in, what is it, transmutation, where like they believe that the blessing literally turns oh. it into yeah. the body oh, yeah. and blood. Oh. Yeah, and that was, d- that's so dumb. No, <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, oh, God. Not, I mean, <laughs> no longer practicing. strong and Mary <laughs> But like, well, I also, my mom, my dad's an engineer. My mom is a physician assistant, medical professional. And so she, we did our like first communion. And then like, she'd be like, great, you did the sacrament. I personally don't drink from the wine because everybody's drinking from that cup. You don't need to do that. Like, just like very like... As much as we were in that, it was also measured, so which I'm very grateful for. <laughs> so you, didn't, you didn't have like a very de- you didn't have like a super devout family. It was not my nuclear family. Uh, I'll say it that way. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, yeah. That's what I meant. That is what I meant. Not devout yeah. like parents. They weren't as intense about right. it. Even then, I look back on it because like I grew up in San Antonio, San Antonio, Texas. So. We, I'm sure everybody listening got a picture of what that political religious landscape might look like. But our church, especially when I was a teenager, was relatively liberal. Like we would have like co-ed sleepovers at the church. We would like the youth program. They had people come in and talk to us about drugs like people who were in active recovery talking about this is what mm. led me there. This is why, you know, like oh. I made some changes. Oh. Like it was like, okay, really good. <laughs> like, especially, you know, like, so I was a teenager in the early aughts. Right. So like at that time, at that place, weirdly, okay. Messaging for the most part. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> And still, and still, Catholicism brought upon what it still brings upon, no matter how progressive and liberal you may try to be. (laughs) For real, for real. And I mean, we're going to touch on that piece a little bit later, but like, 
The other piece, I think, that kind of kept horror in my life. My dad denies being a horror fan for some reason, Mm. even though we were watching things like Predator with him. And, like, he'll he'll be be like, no, that's sci-fi. And I'm like, Dad, the Venn diagram between horror and sci-fi is almost a circle. Like, (laughs) there's no... uh, In this last conversation I had with him, he goes, so the fly? The fly is horror? And I was like... Yes! Yes! Dad! Dad. <laughs> it's it's so funny. It's so funny how some some people are very like this is sci-fi, this is horror and they can't Never overlap. Never the two shall meet. Mm-hmm. Right. Because like I there's a lot of people one of the big things is oh I don't like horror and I'm like oh okay and then they'll they'll talk about a movie and I'm like you know that's horror, right? And like no 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 that's that's sci-fi or that's that's this other thing that that's is not thriller. horror and I'm like yeah, the thriller, the whole oh, thriller conversation. The th- don't no. even. But like, it's it's so funny how people are like, oh, I don't like horror, but I do like the Predator, and I like Alien, and I like Aliens, and I, I like. <laughs> oh, I love Predator. I yeah. love maybe like Predator is not a horror movie. I'm like. It is about an alien that skins people and tears their. A man, he pulls a man's skull and spine out of his yes. body with his bare weird hands. He's an Arnold, alien. Arnold is a final girl in Predator. Yes. Like. Final Hello. Himbo. Yes. Yeah. Like, oh. yeah. No. And even my dad is a Stephen King fan. He's like read a bunch of his books. Okay. He, he, in fact. Oh, okay. So here's the thing. Your dad's being a snob. And I, I say that. I, <laughs> with all the respect. With all the respect. No. And honestly, with all the respect. Like, if that is like classic someone being like, well, I think horror is this one thing and not understanding like the scope of horror. Because I think. Especially when a lot of people grew up, like our parents' ages, horror was mm-hmm. like the slashers and shit the like slashers. That. What comes up a whole lot, yeah. Or like the idea of like the dead teenager movie, where it's yeah. like tits and ass and sex and yeah, some exa- mass killer exactly. killing people. And they're like, that's like, not that is what, what I like. Think of. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, and calling back to another one of your episodes, the anniversary one, where you had people call in. Um, I was the at the time anonymous anonymous caller talking about it and my grandmother's clowns, and so yes, uh, yes, that was the one that like I'm over clowns as a fear now, but that was stuck around for a minute. <laughs> so, do you remember what your first horror movie was? Probably that one, and I also remember my mom showing me the thriller music video mm. which uh, i okay. i really liked it all the way up until what scared me was at the end when he turns around with the yellow eyes and the vincent with price the laugh. that was the part that i went oh that i can deal with the dancing zombies everything else that part is too much <laughs> it's been so long since i've seen the thriller thing because i used to have a vhs that was like a bunch of short films that were like released for his his thing and i think it was around the time of like moon i think it was called moonwalker i think they made a video game out of it i don't remember but there was a bunch and i do remember the thriller one because it started with like him and and his girlfriend at at the movies and eventually turns into a werewolf i think is that am i remembering that correctly there's like the werewolf movie they're watching a werewolf movie but then he like turns into a zombie it's yeah yeah yes as I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, that's not cohesive, but I still respect <laughs> it. <laughs> so were you a, a scared kid? Uh, so, so there were certain things that scared me, like 
we used to have like a Chuck E. Cheese kind of knockoff called Jungle Gyms where there was like a, oh, a gorilla, yeah. like a person in a gorilla mascot suit. That I remember, I can remember like my mom holding me and me like burying my face in her neck and her hair to be like, no, 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 I'm not a fan of that guy. Um, But like a lot of movies, I really, or like TV shows, like didn't always bother me as much books. I remember being in kindergarten looking, because I couldn't read it yet. I was looking at the pictures in Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Just (laughs) fascinated. Like, the Harold picture scared me to the point that I tried not to touch the picture whenever I was holding the book. (laughs) I have a a blanket with Harold on it on my bed. And my my family was like, why the fuck do you want that on your bed? And I was like, it's Harold. And they were like... (laughs) You're crazy. And it was so funny because I loved that shit as a kid. I was like, hell yeah. yeah. And I was like, but I know what you mean about like, they did feel, it felt like yeah. I shouldn't be allowed to read them. Haunted. The one that always jumps out to me is the, uh, I believe it is the girl that gets trapped in the, in the, um, the, the trunk. chest. Yeah. And there's like a, a shot of of her body there with like webs next to it. Her mouth. And she's like, "Oh yeah, mm-hmm. oh that's right." Like, hello, that's a children's book, baby. <laughs> yeah, that's the image that whenever I think of a scary stories, that is what immediately comes into my head. Is is that image? I oh. want to do an embroidery of I forget the name of the the story, but. It's the one where she has like the string. It's a close up of her face, the stringy hair. She's like very skeletal. She has no eyes, like kind of like. I just sent it in the chat. Is that the one you're talking about? Let's find out. Yep. That's the one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the other image that comes to mind, too. I want a tattoo of her so bad. Isn't that foul? No, that's amazing. I want a tattoo of her so bad. Like, I'm obsessed with her. Like, she. I'm obsessed with her. Like, if these were the books, not to hijack, this is me, but, like, these were the books I would read and get so scared of, but always go back. Like, I dare mm-hmm. myself to look at them again and, like, stare at her eyes. I was a weird kid, but, like... It's because the it, art. The yeah. art, man. I was, like, five, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> no, I, I fully agree. And, like, you know, I was at the perfect age when Goosebumps was a thing, so I, like, yep. I remember yeah. Goosebumps were, like, my first chapter books that I finished by myself, like, kind of, you know... <laughs> Oh, yeah. And yeah, just I I I don't want to be like I'm a horror fan because of my ADHD, but just kind of like the encompassing many facets that contribute. I like so with ADHD, we're understimulated. And I think with horror and fear, like there is this stimulation that becomes fun because I think it's also safe to engage in a book or a movie or a TV show. Like there's an end point. There's, you know, you yeah. can turn the TV off. You can close the book. And and when you're already understimulated as a kid, and then you have that stimulation, it's like, whoa, that ooh, that was a lot of neurochemicals. That felt good. I'm gonna do it again. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> okay, so before we talk about your scarred for life pick, I would love to know what was the last movie that like truly scared you. This one when I was rewatching it. Um... <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, I, can't I can't wait, wait. to learn. Can't wait to learn more about that. Uh, yeah. So aside um, from the movie we're discussing. <laughs> aside from that one. That's a good, because I know y'all, you were going to ask that. And I was kind of thinking, you know, okay, like we have the usuals, like Skinamarink. Let me tell y'all when I saw Skinamarink on Shutter, I didn't have a bed at the moment because I was getting a new mattress. So I was sleeping on a air mattress in my living room. 
when <laughs> when really immersive. Watched- you, had, nope. you had you had what they call an immersive experience. <laughs> truly, truly. Uh, so that was a fun time. But I think horror in the high desert too. Okay. And that one, I was not entirely sober when I watched Hell it. Yeah. So there was a lot of plot that I didn't retain. But the scene, they're like in some kind of cluttered basement or something. I was like, I don't know what's happening. I'm so scared. I don't know what's happening. I'm so scared. (laughs) Dutch, fuck you. And I mean, with love. With love and respect. With love and respect. With love and respect. Because I, I, like, I agree with you. Like, that is a movie that I was lucky enough to also see in theaters Mm. at Unnamed Footage Festival. And... Just even though I'd already seen it, stress, just mm-hmm. stress. It he's so good at just creating the, the scariest moments that make no sense, and you're just kind of lost. So everybody, they're on Screenbox if you haven't watched them, and also <laughs> listen to our episode. We need the Dutch. third one. I know. Are they I doing the third I think, one? Oh, there's gonna be five. He's doing like a whole like oh, wow. mythology. It's almost. I think it's almost done though. But I. I you didn't hear that from me. <laughs> Heard what? <laughs> yeah. Who? I don't, know. I don't know what you're talking about. How many cookies? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Perverina, though. What <laughs> movie have you brought with you today for us <laughs> to discuss? I brought the 1997 erupting disaster movie. No, not Dante's Peak. Volcano. Volcano. In Volcano. Um... A volcano, shockingly, erupts in downtown Los Angeles, and a city official, played by Tommy Lee Jones, and a seismologist, played by the late Anne Hesh. Gorgeous Anne Hesh. Oh, she's Gorgeous. so hot. Um, trying mm. to stop its inevitable flow through the city. All right. This was a first watch for me. <laughs> Same. And as well as Mary Beth, and I just, I have to know, take us back. How old were you when you saw this? How did you see this? Why is this silly-ass movie <laughs> your Scarred for Life pick? So remember I talked about my dad watching whatever. Yes. Whenever. <laughs> like, the, I mean, and I was a kid in the 90s. There was not a whole lot of uh, keeping in mind kids are around whenever anything was on TV for most people. I don't remember having seen the whole movie at once. It was really one scene that stuck okay. with me. And it is the scene where John Carroll Lynch, uh, he's <laughs> one of the Metro supervisors. They have found with a nicotine a tr- problem. With a nicotine problem. They have found, I might start crying as I'm talking about this, just a heads up. <laughs> I'm oh, so no. sorry. I'm laughing because I thought it was so funny. No, it, so no it is very funny, actually. I cannot legitimately i'm not being facetious i cannot wait to talk to my therapist about this experience this week Uh, (laughs) which i have talked about my fear of volcanoes with her before so it wouldn't be a surprise so john carol lynch (laughs) metro supervisor these guys you know at this point in the movie everybody's already responding to you know this volcano this lava that's coming out in los angeles and uh from the la brea tar pits from the la brea tar pits which i know in my frontal lobe in my you know logical brain that now geologically impossible but when i was like maybe 10 when this would have been on tv did not know that there's a trapped metro 
train, car, whatever. And they're down there. They're saving the people. And they got to get the driver. He has passed out. And John Carroll Lynch goes and has to be a damn hero. My notes are literally like, stand no, like in all caps. Um, I also kept track of my heart rate while, while I was watching this. Like, I'm sitting down doing nothing while I'm watching it. And by the end of this scene, it was 115 when I last when I when I watched this for this this podcast. Okay, what's so I'm your, still What's your resting heart rate usually? Way less than that. Like <laughs> significantly <laughs> so under a hundred for sure. <laughs> okay. So I'm very reactive. Um <laughs> So just to, for the listeners, if they have not seen the movie, he's he's doing the fireman carry, getting this driver out, and they're showing in agonizing detail his shoes are melting and in slow motion to the bottom of the the car, and he starts praying Hail Mary and like. The, I, car- I started crying and not when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I'm just watching this probably like paralyzed in fear. <laughs> so I'm, I, you know, like, so then he goes and he gets to the end and they're like, Stan, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. He you jumps can't save him. And he throws the driver who they're able to save. And Stan just goes and melts into the lava, which I also don't think is scientifically possible. But tell a 10-year-old that after watching it. And I just remember that scene. Which, to be fair, a lot of the other stuff probably would have flew over 10-year-old me's head anyway. But there's a, 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 a prologue to this. All right. I don't really think that much about that movie after that. Let's fast forward about 20 years. I have just moved to Los Angeles for graduate school. Yeah. I live in a place where the part of the metro that makes the most sense to take is the red line. <laughs> so... I'm, and that was the affected line in the movie. Yep. <laughs> and I get on the red line with my friends, and I'm kind of going like, why does this feel uniquely familiar in a weird way? Because, you know, there is not a lot of uh, aesthetic updates to a metro line <laughs> over time, especially in L.A. True. And I, like, literally, like, Kill Bill sirens, like, it just comes flooding back. And I was like, oh, my God. And I was immediately like, holy shit, that scene of Volcano. (laughs) And I've always been afraid of Volcano. Even, like, the part in Fantasia where they go, like, through the Earth, like, Mm -hmm. you know, the and the part where the Earth is all... Lava. I don't know if y'all have seen the Lord of the Rings TV show, but there's in one of the episodes. Yeah, it's amazing. There is a I volcanic eruption. Oh my god! I literally physically be. I have a stomach of steel. I got nauseous watching that episode. Wait. Okay. So <laughs> wait. Okay. So we're hold on. Um. <laughs> was was this movie the? start of your fear of volcanoes like where did the fear of volcanoes begin like can we can we talk about that that's a good question i think the fear started before and this just strengthened it um because like 
when in the house that we lived in when I was a kid. So this when, is your arachnophobia. Sorry, this is your yeah. arachnophobia. Oh, fully, fully had it before, exacerbated it. One hundred percent, Terry. The way you are with spider movies, like I, I can deal with like some depictions of volcanoes, but if it keeps going, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta look away. Like I'm getting physically activated. I like, I and and. It's it, like with any true phobia, we know it's irrational, right? That mm-hmm. doesn't stop the brain from responding sure the way it does. Sure doesn't. Because like in the backyard where we lived around that time, there was this little mound. <laughs> and I used to have nightmares of it growing up into a volcano. And like, Was this pre-volcano <laughs> though, the movie? I think it would have been pre-volcano, the movie, yeah. And fun fact, later when I told my parents about that, they were like, oh, yeah, we used to joke that that was the, where the dead body was buried. <laughs> I was like, that's of course. cool. That's of course. cool. Thanks for not telling that to us children back then, because uh, that would have been wild. <laughs> so why what, do, do you remember when you realized that you had a fear of volcanoes? Like what? This, I mean, it seems like a very specific thing. Yeah, it was one of those things that it always made sense to me to be afraid of volcanoes. Okay, because they just at sprout them. up everywhere, right? <laughs> like, every every depiction of a volcano is, in a lot of media, especially of the time, is violent. Or yeah. we're, we're uh, doing culturally insensitive depictions of people sacrificing things to volcanoes. Or, yeah. you know, it's... Uh, and, and I do want to be... I know there are cultures where volcanoes are celebrated, so I yep. don't want to be like, they're bad, but, and I don't believe that they're bad. Part of what scares me about them, especially now, is the indiscriminate, this is not a creature responding to something, this is not a person making a choice, this is just happening, and ain't nothing you or anyone else can do about it, and like, <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> Well, let me tell you, I am uniquely prepared for this episode because I have lived through a volcanic eruption. What? Yes. So, my God, as I've as I've mentioned before, I grew up in Alaska. I'm the first like you know eight years of my life, and what happened in? Let me see, where was it? Uh, 1989 in Alaska, Mount Readout exploded. And Mount Readout was uh, like, how far? 110 miles southwest of Anchorage. And Anchorage is where is like we live about 20 minutes outside of Anchorage. And so it erupted on December 14th of 1989 and continued to, I think, erupt for about six months. And we were far enough away that like there was nothing except ash and ash would just coat the snow and so the whole thing is everyone is jokes don't don't eat the yellow snow for us in alaska this year it was don't eat the gray snow because it was literally coating the snow in ash and so i would have been eight years old at the time not thinking anything of it we lived through earthquakes earthquakes happen a lot in alaska uh so we had earthquakes all the time and then this happened when i was eight years old so i am uniquely qualified to talk about this movie (laughs) I think my heart has not restarted since you started talking about that. <laughs> yeah. um, like, I, I I'm also literally feel shaking like I've right now. <laughs> I feel like 
I know so much about you, Terry. And then you shock me <laughs> with this story. And I'm like, I don't know this man at all. Well, and what really fucks me up about it. Like, like, I also have a great fear of moose, and you have fucking moose stories too. Like, what the hell, Terry? (laughs) The moose that that stuck its head in our window. Yeah. Paprina, I love that you grew up in Texas and you're scared of volcanoes and moose. The moose thing. I get it. I get it. Look, I don't I'm not it's not judgmental because I have similar stories about being afraid of things that were not where I grew up. I get it. It's just very funny like to hear. You lived in a place that had very real things to be afraid of and you were afraid of things that are not around you. Well, and which again so, makes sense. So one Sorry. Briefly, the moose thing is more recent. I saw for the first time in my ah. life as an adult, I saw a picture that really showed them to scale and that just oh, yeah. huge viscerally stirred something within my soul that went no, no it's thank like, you. It's like behemoth like cosmic horror type vibes. You're like, no, yeah. that is an unreasonably large creature no, that I they, need to respect as if it is a god. They shouldn't no be allowed. Um, I'm not okay with them. And I hope they don't hear that and fight me. <laughs> <laughs> taking a drink and now i think the drink is either up her nose or somewhere in the room or both unsure i'm sorry that was a beautiful thing but i mean no it's funny that you point that out mary beth because i think that's a very real part of it where it's like when you actually experience things that demystifies them right Mm -hmm. like a rattlesnake you just gotta not go there uh (laughs) leave it alone okay (laughs) you know like uh it it, all all that kind you know heat heat stroke go inside and drink some water you know like it's it's (laughs) not to to stoke the fear but i put in chat a picture of what it looked like in 1990 oh god mount readout See, so the picture is like oh, like the cloud of ash mm-hmm. coming out of the the volcano. That I'm okay with. It, uh, it looks like I've been watching a lot of old fifties big monster movies lately. Um, so I've been seeing a lot of like radiation nuke stuff, and that yeah. looks like a mushroom cloud almost. It does um, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah, that was in April of 1990. Jeez. So to go back to volcano the movie. I yes. thought that this was Joe versus the volcano because I thought Volcano <laughs> and Joe versus the volcano were the same movie. Everybody, Amazing. Uh, the Tom, the Tom Hanks movie, Tom where, sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, where Tom Hanks plays a guy who's dying and someone offers him a way to die with dignity, aka throwing himself into a volcano. So I was like, why is why is Purpurina so scared of, of the volcano? Like, I don't understand. I get it now. Uh, I get it now. I also, I thought that Joe versus the Volcano, for some reason, was, like, the only Volcano movie. Dante's Peak, I also thought it was Joe versus the Volcano. I literally thought all of these these movies were the same movie. (laughs) I love that. You're, this entire time, you're like, I don't know why people talk about this comedy the way that they do. (laughs) Well, but I also didn't remember being a comedy. I, like, don't, I don't understand why I conflated all three, like, popular volcano-centric films into one. 
Because I know they're all oh. relative. Well, Steve was funny because Steve was like, oh, you're watching Volcano. Is that the one with Pierce Brosnan as the hot scientist who's the who saves the day? Or is it the one with the grumpy old man who saves the day? And I said, <laughs> it's the grumpy old man who saves the day. Tommy Lee Jones as like the very stern man who like knows how to command a team of construction men. Not construction men, but like. <laughs> who is from the Midwest. Men. Is new enough to LA that people still rib him for being from the Midwest and yet knows the city like the back of his fucking hand. Oh, I <laughs> I have a very new appreciation for his character on this rewatch because like I really appreciated how they like even from the beginning, like his quick thinking on his toes when he drops the scrambled eggs and then he says cornflakes for breakfast instead of getting mad and getting caught up in, oh, I dropped the eggs. Like, mm-hmm. like we're seeing that like, yeah, there's a reason why he's good at his job, why, you know, he's so committed to his job. Um, can I also say something about Tommy Lee Jones? Yes, please. Every time I see him, I get homesick. Like, anytime I watch a movie, there is something about the cadence and his delivery that is so very Texan that I'm like, okay, mm, I, I want to go, go back. <laughs> he also just, like, has always looked old, Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. You know? He's just always looked like a like grumpy old man. Old guy, grumpy old guy. Very curmudgeonly, but well-meaning. He, he came out like that. Yeah. But it's, like, inc- like incredible because I... As we mentioned in the synopsis, it's him and then Anne Hesh and him. It's like they pair up, but like not romantically. They're just like, it's like that's incredible. This movie is so fucking silly, but the relationship between Anne Hesh and Tommy Lee Jones in this movie is actually kind of incredible. And actually Tommy Lee Jones has like an incredible relationship with several women in this movie. And I'm like, wait, this is actually very, like a lot of incredibly strong women in this film that like aren't just romantic interests or like titties. You know what I mean? Like that's very rare for that era of movie of this ilk. And so it is rather refreshing, even though it is obviously a very silly movie. <laughs> yeah. What I do appreciate about this film is that I, I was like, uh, okay, he has an ex-wife. Is is she across town and he's gonna have to go save her? was my first question because like that always happens in these types of movies, right? Even up to Cloverfield where he's in love with someone and he has to go across the city to save her. Is that what's going to happen here? No. And I was like, Oh, are we, are we uh, teaming up this 51 year old with a 28 year old in a romantic way? Because, you know, in Hollywood, we always have to have the old man and the younger woman because why? And I was like, is that what's going to happen here? No. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. The only the only like kind of stereotypical moment is the fact that there is his daughter in trouble and she always seems to be at the epicenter of disaster. And so that is the only moment that from from the character perspective that I was that I was like, OK, that's a trope. But all the other ones that were big in my mind sidestepped impressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I will admit a lot of my notes are like, ah, I could lose the nagging wife, I could lose, or ex-wife, I could lose the, the kid plot. Although I understand the importance of the responsibility and, and that theme. 
Um, but I was like, yeah, yeah. I, I think also part of what loses it for me is she was supposed to be 13 being okay. played by a 15 year old, which those two years developmentally yes. is a lot mentally, yes. emotionally, and fit like all of it is a, a big difference between those two years. <laughs> Five minutes in the movie. I was, I was literally Googling to find out how old Gabby was at this time, because I was like, there's no way that that girl is, is 13, 15. I can understand, which does not. Again, two years does not seem that much, but we're not talking about a 30-year-old and a 28-year-old. We're talking about someone that is a, a preteen and a teen. Yeah. And I was like, there is no way she is 13 years old. Yeah, yeah. That definitely took me out a little bit because then she's like holding her little stuffed animal and I'm kind of like... Like, not that 15-year-olds can't oh my have God, stuffed wait, animals. that's so funny. I just realized, I didn't realize that she was 13. I thought she was just a really weird teenager. <laughs> <laughs> Mary Beth's like, I thought she was just like that. <laughs> I legitimately thought, I didn't just realize. A I literally thought that she was just, like, really sad because her parents were divorced, so she was just, like, emotionally stunted. 13 years old. Oh, boy. Um, (laughs) I mean, it it doesn't break the movie for me, but, like, in those scenes, I'm like, yeah, 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 okay, let's let's, let's let's go. I was just like, oh, she's just another weird-ass kid in Hollywood. They didn't know what a child was like, so they made Gabby Hoffman (laughs) act, like, six different age ranges all at once to make us feel bad for her. Also, Gabby Hoffman in this as a teenager is wild. I I forgot that Gabby Hoffman, like, was a teenage like a child actor. Yeah, same. I was like, I looked at her as like, why does she look so familiar? And then I went, oh shit, that is Gabby. <laughs> I had no idea that she ever was that young. Also, just seeing Tommy Lee Jones as the father to a 13-year-old slash 15-year-old is very funny because I'm sorry, he looks like a grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone treats him like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this mm-hmm. movie, this movie is like, I... Because this is directed also by the people yes. who did Threads, which director we covered on this Threads. podcast. And Threads is absolutely fucking disturbing, horrible, gritty, down to earth. Except for the the end gets a li- the the well, end yeah. <laughs> the way that oh, Threads ends. Makes the end the, jumps the shark. The end jumps the shark in Threads, which I think makes sense for why Volcano is what it is. But like Threads is this like really down-to-earth, fucked-up look at what would happen if there was a nuclear bomb dropped in the UK and, like, what life would look like for people and, like, physically and, like, all this, like, horrific shit. Like, it's just downright fucking disturbing. Are you saying that Volcano is not an accurate depiction of what would happen (laughs) should a volcano erupt in LA? Is that what I'm hearing? Um, yeah, actually, that's exactly. (laughs) And so it's just, like, very funny to see that I think they, okay, here's the problem. I think they tried to make it realistic, but, like, the budget and resources that they had access to did not support, I think, what the vision was. I mean, this was was an expensive movie. Not to, okay, and this is not to shame, I know that this, like, scares you, and, like, this is not to, like, diminish at all, like, your reactions to it. I think just because I'd never seen it and watching it in, like, my context, it's just, like... It's not bad necessarily, but like the some of the stuff looks like action figures being thrown out of things, and like no certain. Totally. 
you know what I mean? Like, there's some silliness to it in terms of how they execute the visuals. Like, at one point, they just focus on a shot of a Jack Russell Terrier barking at some pretty bad CGI lava oozing through a house, and he grabs his bone and runs out of the house to his owner. Admittedly, incredible. But, like, what? So, I have a couple of things. One... So with arachnophobes, um, studies show that they perceive spiders to be larger than they actually are. Um, yeah, that's because they are giant. I think I have a similar thing with CGI lava. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Where, like, obviously, if, if I'm looking ex- at, like, N64 graphics, I'm not, that's not going to mess me up. Um, I also, I also hate being hot. Like, I'm a person that runs hot, and I hate being physically hot so seeing that thinking about how hot it must be like adds to the discomfort in watching but like yeah like it was one like you're talking about like the bad cgi lava like with the with the dog and my notes are all caps bill no run away bill the dog like like just freaking out (laughs) meanwhile i'm like okay (laughs) but the other thing one, I think one thing that the movie gets wrong about what the response would be in L.A. is uh, L.A. would be far less organized in its response. Okay. <laughs> this movie very is very pro, because, uh, pro-local government. This I, movie is very pro-local government. And I'm like, we have proof through Katrina and other natural disasters that this is not how we would be re- responding. Well, and and I I did want to talk about the sociopolitical themes and aspects of this because Please. the first time I rewatched this was actually during the George Floyd protests. And so oh, for listener context, this movie came out five or six years after Rodney King and what they Mary call Beth the LA were just riots. Talking about this right before you popped on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so there's a lot of, like, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Even literally, you know how they have the protest against the Metro and the Beverly Center? To this day, protest has not been built because the we can't have the poors coming here on their public transportation. <laughs> so, okay, I, I, I do... There's so many things I want to ping off of on that. The first thing is that I started watching this early, and then I had a TV get delivered and so i stopped watching it and then my roommate was like "Ooh, i i want to watch volcano so i started it from the beginning again so i'd seen like the first eight minutes and then i you know went back and on the second watch i realized that this protest in the beginning that they literally talk about how oh where 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 was it the talking about how the people pro the people that want this never voted for a subway and mm-hmm. the implication because they are mexican american the implication is that they are illegal immigrants and so that moment right there i was on the second watch i was like holy shit these people and i there are things that are clumsy but there are things that i really appreciate about what the movie's trying to do like for example we see the extreme response uh emergency response to the shops at beverly hills where they're talking about a block over here's a community of predominantly black individuals and they're letting the houses burn that's where bill was man i'm so glad bill made it to his owner spoilers uh (laughs) 
Um, uh, but like, and both of the dogs survive. Actually, we got to see Bill and we got to see Max come back. No, no oh, dog that's deaths. True. Um, but like that, they really there. There is an el- there. Uh, there's a lot of obvious telling of some of this stuff, but there was also a lot of showing that disparity and how, of course, we're going to save these shops that are all empty at that point while you see these people trying to use garden hoses to save their houses from the eruption. There's some interesting visual storytelling going on here that's not... It's not like, hey, look at me, or hey, look at this. It is just happening in a very interesting way. And then we have a little kid literally saying, look at their faces. They're all the same because everyone is covered in ash and you can't tell their skin color. And I was like, wait, did this volcano solve the race problem in America? Is that what we're saying? Didn't you know that when there's a natural disaster, we can all come together as a society and really Uh, fix things? Like Hurricane yeah. Katrina really showed how great we really are as a society that. at uniting to help uh, rescue people in poor neighborhoods. It solved uh, racism, black, just yeah, like really this did. movie. Yeah, didn't you see how that one cop's racism got cured, even though he couldn't barely look the black man oh in the God. face after he helped him out? Like, but you're a good. The, the cop's name was Terry. <laughs> the other cop claps him on the back and goes, "You're I was a like, good man, come Terry. On. Come on." <laughs> This movie's gunning for me. <laughs> meanwhile, like, did they meanwhile that like Don Cheeto wearing a really weird hat and he's just like executing everything from afar on the phone and it's just like <laughs> Okay, but can we appreciate the dialogue that they gave Cheadle and like the quick wit of that character and like he was the glue of the emergency response, truly. Like Tommy Lee Jones <laughs> might have been in charge, but Don Cheadle was the one back there babysitting everybody else and aligning everything together. <laughs> I really love this movie, huh? I really, like, I have seen it as an adult only twice, but, like, I I took a lot of notes <laughs> this time. I just, it, it's like, just such a silly, it's just, it is a very sincere yet silly take on the disaster movie. Like, and I can, appre- I appreciate what it's trying to do, but it comes off comparatively to like other disaster films that I've seen, it's like a little cheesy. I don't know if anyone else feels similarly to like how it comes off. I don't think it means to, but I think it's like, my my feeling was that like it got in its own way whenever it had a moment uh where it could like breathe and some of the drama, they did something that immediately undercut it as an example the part where Anne Hish's, uh colleague gets killed and she is, I, I'm laughing because of what I'm building to. She is uh, mourning her friend who just died and that they are right about this being a volcano. And she puts her gas tank on the, on the hood of the truck and there's looters stealing stuff. And while she's like, Morning, and it's centered on her kind of like with this real sad face one of the looters steals her gas tank from right behind her <laughs> which is hilarious but doesn't let her have that moment <laughs> not. it does not and so wow okay one of the things that surprised the heck out of me is that this this was um co-written by a man named billy ray who would go on to write captain phillips the Hunger Games, Shattered Glass, <laughs> Terminator Dark Fate, Overlord, 
got to start here, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not saying this is a five out of five movie by any means, uh, but like, I like, I think it's like I can see some of the pieces where I'm like, oh, I wish you had let that breathe or I wish you had done something different. And then also there's just the fact that I'm going to be terrified by some of this stuff, even going back to the scene with poor Stan. One of the things that really like on this rewatch, I immediately burst into tears when he started praying, not because I still believe I had the same thing with midnight mass where there's just something about being raised Catholic that like having that almost cultural connection and seeing how, knowing how big of a deal some of these movements and these prayers are to see him like trying to save this man you know now and in the hour of our death and i'm like oh my god (laughs) just like losing it (laughs) meanwhile i'm sitting here going man this is a really religious film because the the idea of like religion comes up a whole lot in here we have at the very beginning of the movie we have with so side note that is one thing that i did appreciate of from from the director um Mick Jackson, who also did Threads, is that the way this movie started felt like we were doing a slice of life of L.A. where, you know, we see all the it's the 90s. So all the health fads and we got all these commercials and we're hearing about news reports and everything. It felt very slice of life in the way that Threads started. But we also have the this uh, fire and brimstone minister on on TV talking about, you know, how um, the devil is who is portrayed as very warm, you know, is, 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 is here and yada, yada, yada. I'm like, okay, so we're starting off with that and we're ending with, um, Tommy Lee Jones reciting some, some passage from, from the Bible about houses built on sand. So we have that, we have this moment of, of sacrifice of involving Stan, giving himself up very Christ-like to mm-hmm. throw, you know, the, the conductor from it while he's praying. Like there's all of this moment as like religion is threaded through this, Almost as much as the fact that it is saying the local government will save you. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. And I wonder if I didn't pick up as much on the religion because I not so much like living in L.A. because like whatever, Uh, (laughs) like just like seeing those different facets of being part of like the 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 landscape that is here, like Mm -hmm. and people have assumptions about California, especially Southern California, you know, everybody's super liberal. <laughs> no. right. Like, you know, like right. you, we truly right. have all types. And so like that, like, I, I feel like I kind of perceive that as like, Oh yeah. Like they're showing our all types, but I think you're also absolutely right that there is this, somebody will save you. Don't worry about, mm-hmm. you know, the disaster. Like there are people in charge who know what they're doing. And if they don't know, they're going to figure it out. <laughs> Or they're going to sacrifice themselves. How many people sacrifice themselves for mm-hmm. the good of others? The the bomb person in the towards the very end, and Gator who's there with him, and mm-hmm. Gator could have left. Like I get the guy that was trapped under the debris couldn't, but Gator could have left. But he's like, no, we're going to both die here together to it save. Feels very brothers in arms. Right. Like, you know, don't leave a man behind, you know, and this is purely coincidence because I've been reading it before uh, we talked about me coming on. But I've been reading this book called The Unthinkable, Who Survives When Disaster Strikes and Why? And they're talking a lot about, I mean, 
also disasters and stuff in the wilderness is one of my like special interests but like this is not in the wilderness Uh, this is more kind of things like this where there's a lot of people why do some people freeze why do some people engage in heroism all that kind of stuff and it like it's one of those things where yeah we are going to see all those different things but like I don't, I think you're right, not to the degree that the movie is portraying. Right. Well, it, I, I think it's because all the people that either are sacrificing themselves are people of, you know, the the government, whether it's the Metro worker, whether it is Tommy Lee Jones's profession, whether it is the bomb squad, like these are all, you know, state employees typically that are giving themselves up for the good of the city. I don't, I don't think yeah. that's what's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, he he was even giving up his PTO when it was just a regular, regular earthquake, right? Girl, <laughs> I'm not giving up my PTO. My Don Cheadle had off. that shit. <laughs> Don Cheadle had that shit. Yeah, yeah. I fully. sleep on your desk, boss. I live and breathe disasters. That was so funny to me. Because, like, I think there's really something about, like, kind of the gallows humor sarcasm that absolutely would come up in a setting like that. That yeah. felt very natural to me about how they talk to one another. Um, not just Cheadle and Tommy Lee Jones, but, like, everyone in that office. You know, there was the one that he told the guy, like, when he made fun of his hat, like, oh, yeah, your wife told me the same thing. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. kind of just that. The good-natured ribbing and the, yeah. Um, so... I, I'm curious. I want to go back to a point that you were talking about, Mary Beth, where you you kind of were not expecting this to be as as silly. And I think what's interesting is that both in 1997 and then I believe again in 1998, we had two movies about the same subject coming out within months of each other, and one being praised that was like more. I mean, I don't even know this movie was not praised, so I take that kind of back. But like the idea of like this big blockbuster movie that is like big crowd pleaser and then a more intimate film. So like we have here, we have Volcano that was preceded very briefly by Dante's Peak. And then in 1998, we would have Armageddon and Deep Impact. And it's it's so it's interesting to me that these two movies came out very similar time. It was almost like, you know, they're trying to beat the other one to the punch of making the Volcano movie. Disaster films were really big getting into the nineties with we, you know, we started off with alive and then we had independence day and we have this, we have Armageddon, we have like, um, white squall. So like nature us versus nature was like a big theme into the nineties, but I never saw this movie because I saw Dante's peak and I thought this movie looked really silly and I really enjoyed Dante's peak. Have you ever seen Dante's peak? Either of you? Mm-hmm. I like Dante's peak a lot. I would have to re-watch it, um, but I did watch it a few years ago at my friend's house, and I remember being like, I'm going to play with your toddler <laughs> during some of the scenes. <laughs> I'm going Mary to look Beth, away right is, now. <laughs> there is a scene in Dante's Peak where the grandmother of the family, that they have to go rescue her because she's strong-willed and doesn't oh, want to leave. Oh, I've seen that. I've seen that scene. I have seen that Walking scene Walking through the mm-hmm. acid lake, pulling the canoe. Yep. 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 That doesn't fuck me up to watch as much as Stan. Like, it's still harrowing. Don't get me wrong. It's not... I'm not having fun watching Nana do her thing. But, like... (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, that I can watch with a stronger stomach compared to... There's something about the chaos of lava that... uh, uh, No, thanks. Um. (laughs) So... 
one one last thing. I, I do want to talk about the chaos of lava because there was a line here that I took a note on and I bolded it because I was cackling at it. We're dealing with very determined stuff here <laughs> as if the lava has intentionality. And I was thinking, wait, is this a 90s remake of The Blob? Ooh. Because it is literally moving almost as if the blob is coming through the town. They say it's very determined. It is hot. Cold stops it. Like, th this <laughs> is all... Like, I'm sitting here going, wait, are they saying that this lava is actually alive? Is this a blob movie? Would you have been happier if it turned into a magma blob story? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that kind of slaps and I kind of want to write it. Like... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I will be crying the entire time I'm researching and writing it. <laughs> I think it's a great um, idea. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and I think that's part of it too, right? Like, I don't know if it's just movies like this, but like we do want to treat these natural functions as though they have intentionality, as though they have, they can make the choice to go go through the tar pits or not right like um which i've also been to the tar pits and it was fine because this cannot happen in real life uh, <laughs> geologically a, ge a geologist will be like no volcano <laughs> that's not what happens in that kind of space um before we recorded you said you'd be seeing the tar pits too right mary beth oh yeah i was like so excited to see them i like thought they I, I, my parents moved to southern california I got to go to LA for the first time because I was like, oh my God, I get to go to LA. I'm like, I want to see the La Brea tar pits. For some, I don't know why, I don't know why I wanted to see them. I cannot remember for the life of me, like what I thought it was, but we got there and it was just like stinky. Mm -hmm. Like We're at a tar pit. <laughs> statues just like stuck in tar and it was just bubbling. I was like, I don't really know what I expected, but this is actually quite bizarre. Like, this this is just like a landmark in California, in Los Angeles. It's just bubbling pits of tar. Like, what the hell? Wait, did you <laughs> did you go to the actual museum? Yeah. Okay, okay. I thought you I thought you were saying they all just stood outside and looked at the tar pits. Well, that was like, mostly what we did. But like, I, I mean, like, yeah, I know there's a whole museum, but it's still wild that they're like that's a it's a it's like a mud pit essentially is what it and it's just like a stinky pit i just find and it makes sense that they would have a volcano come out of the stinky pit in the middle of la like it obviously is like in a very like logistically in your head without thinking about how nature works i get it but it's just very funny the shot of like lava coming out and just like the statues that are in it just sinking into the ground. Like, it looks, like, looks all dramatic. And I'm like, that's just, like, the plastic statue that they put in there to make it look all dramatic. And I don't know why. It just makes me laugh. Really quick, speaking of the museum. So there's the Tar Pit Museum and then there's also an art museum. And in the yeah. film, we see them saving the paintings. And I laugh so hard. It's the dumbest joke but i laughed so hard when he was like man this hieronymus bosch is really heavy and he was like well you know he deals with the sins of man and like, like he has like a whole again. long like <laughs> again religious religion but also just like and obviously like you know what you're doing when you write in a line about hieronymus bosch into your volcano disaster movie like come moses on. couldn't part the sea this sea uh, that, yeah. is another yeah. line that is spoken in here yeah, that's fair. Well, and I think there's also something about like 
in media in general, American media, I want to say, in American media in general, how often do we incorporate, like, uh, Christ figures and, like, other biblical references, yeah. assuming that everyone would as- understand that shorthand? Like... Uh, one of my friends is Muslim and like, you know, there was one time we were talking about, I was like, yeah, you know, is this, that, whatever. And I mentioned, you know, in this movie, blah, blah, blah. She goes, I didn't even catch that. And I was like, oh yeah, because you did not go to the mass every Sunday. Like you were doing something else, <laughs> you know, like, and I mean, the idea of sacrifice in, in, in Christ is like a big story point in, in cinema in Americas. I mean, even like the matrix is, there's a Christ-like, you know, idea behind it. So, like, mm-hmm. the, it does make sense in some regards that that we use that as, like, a cultural touchstone for shorthand for, for what we're doing here. It's just kind of silly to me in this particular movie how heavy-handed it is. Well, and, and, and I'm agreeing with that criticism because it's like, yeah, why do we default to the Christian shorthand for these things? Like... What if we left it out? Or wouldn't it be interesting if we used a different uh, spiritual framework, you know, to explore these things? Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it's, I don't know, there's like a lot of, there was a lot of jokes that I'm like, that's silly, and I'm laughing, but it's not hard to please me, to be honest. Um, That's fair. That's fair. I watch movies having a good time. You have like the built-in fear of the volcano. I think again, like arachnophobia is silly to me, but to Terry, it's terrifying. You know, like I get it because the context for you is different. And I, yeah, you know, I'm glad I watched it. I think it's a silly, a silly good disaster movie. (laughs) One shot that I really liked is when they put the camera down to see what was going on if the lava was coming through. And so we didn't get quite a Paranormal Activity 3 of, like, the first view of the camera. But what I really liked was, like, everything's blue and dark. And you see the camera and you see the reflection of the red on the camera before they show us the fire and the lava. I really appreciated that beat. Yeah. And it, it, again, it's funny. It feel, Before we just wrap up, it just feels like it not as high of a budget of a movie to me even though i know it was an expensive movie it's just it's very interesting it, it was an expensive yeah. movie that came out in 1997 so <laughs> you know. yeah true limitations true. of the time <laughs> all right terry let's wrap this up and give us our rating out of five uh so first off to you terry how many volcanic la Brea tar pits out of five do you give volcano i mean this movie there's so much in this movie (laughs) that I just, I don't, I don't honestly know how to answer that because we go from some really, there's some, there's some striking images in here. I do love the moments of the, the, there's like some, there's some dread in terms of there's that moment when Tommy Lee Jones and his daughter in the car and the steam is bursting out of the manholes and then fireballs start raining. Like there's some really well executed moments in here. And then we have a kid saying, they all are the same, covered I, like, in that, ash. That's the thing; it blows up its shit with that. I just, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. No, I'm agreed. just like agreed. There's like there's some really great moments in this, and then there's like moments that I'm just like, how did this get made? <laughs> and so I I don't I don't really know how to really rate that because I did I have fun? Yes, I had a lot of fun. Is this a movie I'm gonna go watch again? No, I'd much rather go watch Dante's Peak, which I did make as a double feature because I was like, why the fuck not? I'm gonna watch Dante's Peak. <laughs> Dante's Peak I still find very harrowing, silly, 
but harrowing. This movie, it's just, it's, it's fun. It's a good popcorn movie. I do appreciate, by the way, that this movie was under two hours long. Can you imagine if they made this movie today? It'd be like a three hour epic. Like, it doesn't need to be like that. So I, I was appreciative that it did not waste our time, that it was in, out, disaster started. We're not like making a big fucking epic that films are today. It's fun. I'm going to give it um, three and a half volcanic La Brea tar pits for myself. What about you, Mary Beth? I'm going to have to give it three volcanic La Brea tar pits. I enjoyed it for what it was. I had a, it was a fun disaster movie watch. I definitely think there was some parts that were just very silly, a little, and a little campy because I think it is, a, it's, I think it is sincere what it's trying to do, but the execution is just, it becomes campy in terms of like, like I don't know how to describe it, but I wish they had used Anne Hash a little bit more, but you know, yeah. what can you do? I think she's underutilized in this movie. I absolutely love the scene where we, the volcano happens and her scientist friend gets eaten by the volcano. That is some horror movie shit, that scene. There's just a giant chasm. So, I mean, like, it's, again, it's silly, but I enjoyed it, so it's three. Uh, Paprina, you have the final word. How many volcanic libre tar pits out of five do you give? Oh, boy. One? Um... Terry, I find it very funny that you called out the runtime because it did take me over two hours to watch it <laughs> because I was pausing Fair. to regulate myself. Like literally after the stand scene, I had ah. to pause it for so long that the Apple TV turned off. <laughs> okay, that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> and it's fully like, I would never expect anybody else to react the way that I do to this movie. Let me make that clear. Like, I'm not saying, <laughs> how are y'all not messed up by... No, no, no. That said, I'm here for camp and silly. I I did appreciate a lot of the stuff that I did find funny, whether they intended it or not. It was helpful so that I wasn't just constantly <laughs> sweating. Mm -hmm. I was so tense during the stand scene that the tops of my boobs got sore. Do you know how hard you have to clench all the muscles in your body for that to happen over... How long is that scene? Probably not even 10 minutes. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. I, I think I'm going to have to... But also, like, there are very fair criticisms, and I very much agree with a lot of the points y'all brought up, so I think I'm going to be with Terry and give it 3.5. Uh, liberated tar pit eruptions. <laughs> I just want to to read my note on the Stan death. Stan jumps into the lava to save him. He's on fire, and he literally throws the conductor onto onto safety before melting like the Wicked Witch. Can I read you my notes? Yes. Okay, let's do this. Heart rate currently one hundred one at time of unpausing. I am sweating. Not the music in the slow motion. The melting shoes. This entire scene is seared into my brain. The prayer, God, God, God. Jump stand his face, their faces. I'm crying. No, I'm sobbing. God, the way he just fucking goes down. Pausing again. Heart rate 115. <laughs> and then he melted like the Wicked Witch. Yeah, I, I, oh, I, it really is like that if I was to pick a singular still, it would be him like looking head on, like going down into the lava is is the still that etched when I die. That's going to be part of what flashes in front of my <laughs> eyes. Like <laughs> <laughs> this movie will be your, your, your life flashback. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, thank you so much, Perperina, for joining us, reliving your pain and talking about Volcano. Where can our listeners find you? And the floor is yours to plug away. Uh, first, thank you both so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Um, first, I'm going to plug Observable Radio. You can find us just about anywhere at observable radio uh our website is also observableradio.com we release episodes every last tuesday of the month so at the time of this recording we're recording on january 30th we just released our sixth episode um also uh patreon subscribers get our ad free uh episode a few days early so if you don't like ads uh, and if you like doing patreons we're on there too um you can follow me just about anywhere uh, at Purpurina Stitch. That is P-U-R-P-U-R-I-N-A Stitch. Um, and I mostly post stitches and random little thoughts about different movies and such. Uh, and yeah. Hell yeah. All right, listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. What is your experience with Volcano or Dante's Peak or Joe versus the Volcano that I all thought they were? Uh, you can send us Wait, an have email you seen at... Joe versus the Volcano? Me? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Okay. That's the one I've not seen. <laughs> long, long ago. Um, so I remember nothing from it. But yeah, send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us on social media. I am at mbmcandrews on Twitter and at mb.mcandrews on Instagram. And I'm at Gaily Tripful everywhere. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Instagram at scarredforlifepodcast and on Twitter and Blue Sky at scarredpodcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you want to help support us, we do have a Patreon. Ooh, thank you, Eric Power. <laughs> Thank you, Derek Bauer, for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. <laughs> <laughs>